Before we start our show, I would like to thank our sponsor for this week, Trail of Bits. Trail of Bits is a premier cybersecurity consultancy that offers services to some of the most well-renowned and well-respected companies in the blockchain space and in other areas as well. Trail of Bits would like to highlight a um, blog post that they mentioned and they wrote specifically for parody called the 10 rules for the secure use of cryptocurrency hardware wallets. First of all, if you have a substantial amount of cryptocurrency that you are managing yourself, you should be using a hardware wallet. If you've ever read through the security guidelines in something like um, MyCrypto, then this article will really help you further your security practices in the way you actually manage your hardware keys. Having read the article, I found certain oversights that I myself had made, and I think you would be interested in as well. There'll be a link in the description. Now, on with our show. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, boy. So they put us through the turnstiles turned us loose inside. Welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. This is your host, Lucian. Today we're going to talk about AVA and the Avalanche Consensus Protocol, Facebook and a newly built fully homomorphic hashing algorithm that they open sourced, a brief overview over the four phases of Ethereum 2.0 implementation. And also we're going to talk about light clients, Parity's work on them, and why I'm excited about it. Let's jump right in. So Ava is probably the coiner company, don't know which one, that is building out the first implementation of what is being called the Avalanche Consensus Protocol. Avalanche is a lightweight consensus protocol, and it's supposed to be the third class of consensus protocol after uh, traditional consensus protocols like Paxos and um, Nakamoto consensus protocol, which was developed by the Bitcoin white paper. So as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about these developments, especially because it promises some improvements in throughput and uh, it increases the amount of transactions per second that a blockchain system is able to um, execute. The backstory is that an anonymous group called Team Rocket contacted Amin Gunsurir and his team at Cornell and the IC3 uh, Research Institute, who does really interesting and great stuff, um, with a proof of the consensus algorithm. They had previously been working on a uh, new consensus algorithm, specifically on the networking stack. But uh, along came this anonymous group called Team Rocket, who provided a proof. Um, the proof itself is for a uh, synchronous um, system, and the guarantee offered by it ensures that within a synchronous system, it is guaranteed to work as intended. Obviously, they want to create a real-world, uh, network-applicable uh, implementation, so they're building it on top of 
um, an asynchronous system, but the idea itself is that you can have some guarantees that translate while the proof itself isn't able to be generalized. Um, it's still exciting in the potential because the proof essentially is a guarantee that it works as intended, which as you can imagine in a uh, distributed consensus system in an adversarial network, that's a pretty important thing to accomplish. Now to paraphrase something that Gun Surir does a much better job than myself possibly can explaining, but I will have a link in the show notes if you want to see the full uh, explanation or description. Um, basically, you have traditional consensus, and traditional consensus has been around since the 1960s, but you have a known set of existing nodes, and all nodes talk to all other nodes. So the communication time grows exponentially with the number of participants. This doesn't really work well when, first of all, you don't know who's going to join the network beforehand, and um, when people want to join after the network has already been set up, which is why Nakamoto Consensus came along. Nakamoto Consensus works much better in a permissionless and open environment, mainly because the combination of the proof of work used to mint new coins and to log transactions, plus the longest chain rule, helps independent nodes essentially see what is the latest block and to be able to check, essentially, the work being done by the submitter so that they could essentially validate the newest set of transactions um, on their own. So what Avalanche is trying to accomplish is to have Bitcoin-type robustness, but with the speed and efficiency of classical algorithms. And in order to accomplish this, it essentially has to work completely differently. Explaining exactly what it is or how it works is a bit more difficult, but some of the uh, points for their private testnet that they've mentioned is that their C++ non-full implementation reached 19 thousand transactions per second already, and their re-implementation in Go currently achieved 6,000 transactions per second, and they're currently working their way up. Now, I did find an explanation, but unfortunately I'm going to have to read it directly off of the website because there's no easy way for me to be able to translate this, but essentially I've, it's a Snow Byzantine Fault Tolerant demo. Um, that I found on Ava Labs website on avalabs.org. And it says, the demo shows the Snowball protocol used as the core of the peer-to-peer -peer payment system Avalanche introduced in the paper. It visualizes the process of a binary, single-degree, probabilistic snowball consensus that harnesses metastability to guarantee safety. Little squares represent different nodes, wherein the color of each square represents its current proposal. Darkness of the color shows the node's conviction in the proposal. Expectedly, all nodes will collapse to the same color in the end. And I'm going to have a link to this demo in the description, but the idea is that um, through multiple rounds of communication, eventually there is eventual consensus. So uh, to draw a similarity between Bitcoin or Nakamoto consensus, Bitcoin actually has eventual consensus because there is a chance that there are multiple solutions found to the same proof of work, even with the same difficulty, and that the chain momentarily forks. 
Um, but what ends up happening is that whoever received the update regarding the correct chain will start working off of the new information and therefore building um, that chain longer. So Bitcoin itself is considered eventually um, to be eventually consistent. And usually after six blocks or 60 minutes, it's said to be very difficult slash probably un almost unlikely um, to ever um, fork unless, of course, there's an intentional 51% attack. But this is kind of the aspect of eventual uh, consensus. And I'm certain there's aspects to this protocol that I haven't fully understood yet, but I'm definitely excited. There's um, a working demo implementation, and I'm definitely going to be following this project closely. Facebook launched a library where they implemented an example of fully homomorphic hashing. Well, what exactly does that mean and why do we care in the blockchain space? Essentially, they were trying to find a truly efficient system that allows the distributor and its subscribers to update the database of a hash entirely independent of the size of the database. It might sound familiar mainly because that's kind of the way Merkle trees work. Um, these requirements are satisfiable through homomorphic hashing. So. Intuitively, homeomorphic hashing answers the question. Given the hash of an input, along with a small update to that input, is it possible to hash the new input with the update applied without having to recompute the entire hash from scratch? In a way, yes. And the way that they basically make it look is that by adding a new field within a database, you essentially take the hash of that field and you hash the old hash of the entire database with the concatenation of the new hash and you actually get a, um, a collision resistant um, hash out of this. So I think the implication of this in the blockchain space isn't fully realized. Um, it's obviously made for Facebook's centralized data centers, but I think the implementation is interesting and novel. Also shows the rise of homomorphic um, computation in general and the ability to basically um, act computations across uh, encrypted or hashed data is new and uh, let me know if you found this interesting because usually i think this is the first time probably the only time i'm going to cover something by facebook just kidding i use their software all the time just not their website <laughs> now back to the safety and comfort of the ethereum space <laughs> just kidding this is a fast-moving space and I wanted to basically create a short outline of the four phases of Ethereum 2.0 development. Um, I've gotten some feedback regarding whether or not this is a good time to dive into Ethereum's um, code base, um, some of the early implementations, uh, or even if the spec is finalized enough for it to actually be worth looking into. And I personally think it is. It's actually a really good time since the um, first phase, the beacon chain with um, proof of stake and validators has been implemented by at least two um, teams, 
Prismatic Labs and the Nimbus team out of status. So after validators can randomly be assigned to specific shards, the next phase is simply having data on the shards. Now, this isn't going to have the same full functionality as Ethereum does today, because the following uh, step is to have cross-shard or intra-shard transactions, which would be necessary for interoperability of different smart contracts, for example. So to be able to call one smart contract from another, you essentially need to solve the third part, um, which is the interoperability. And this is still kind of like a new and um, research-heavy topic. There have been some updates um, that I'll probably do a further episode on soon in order to kind of talk about the new design ideas and the ideas to implement this specific layer. But up until there, essentially most of the spec has already been fleshed out and they're at the point of implementation because the final uh, and fourth stage of Ethereum 2.0 development is just optimization. And um, hopefully we get there soon. Now, for the remainder of the episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, an article that Frederick, the CTO of Parity and um, the co-host of the Zero Knowledge podcast, um, said, and it's basically highlighting the future of um, clients, blockchain clients. So many people know the current Ethereum clients, Parity, Geth, um, there's another one called Pegasus that was um, that is being worked on by the people at Consensus, um, and most people see these client implementations and they see them as like a difference in programming language. But what Frederick proposed is specialized clients, right? Um, Ethereum's been around but around close to five years, and there are different users, right? And it, does it make sense for someone who wants to access a DAP to essentially run an Ethereum full node in order to be able to send transactions when they don't really care about the full history um, or they don't really have the same kind of security concerns as someone who's transferring millions of dollars uh, worth of coins? And um, one of the things he proposes is the specialization of clients. And I find this a really compelling um, article, not only because um, the idea itself is compelling, but also because uh, they're not just empty words. And Parity has actually implemented a light client and has a really interesting uh, technology stack that I don't, I haven't really heard a lot of people talking about. So I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about this. So the most recent release that they've uh, made in this technology stack is with something called Parity Feather, and it's a decentralized light client-based wallet, right? So there's no third party relaying information to the wallet, um, displaying what you uh, spent or your account information, and essentially you can run a parity light client node, and then you have a wallet um, instance, right? It's just a front end that um, you can host locally, and essentially you could run your own light client and have your own wallet, so you don't have to query a third-party service for blockchain data. And, I mean, if we take the... Um, 
the clearest example or counterexample, I would say, uh, it would be Infura. Um, Infura essentially is a service that a lot of blockchain developers rely on, especially uh, in the initial prototyping phase, basically because um, you have a central point and you could hit an API and you can get blockchain data. Um, but you do have to trust Infura's services, and the scale of their services has now become a substantial part of the Ethereum network, and it's mainly because that there's a cost associated and a technical knowledge and expertise associated with running a full Ethereum node, not to mention you have to make sure it's still up and you have to make sure that it's uh, secure and... um, Essentially, you have to maintain a full running node Um, to be able to interact with the Ethereum network. And what the idea behind a light client is, is that if you strip away components that you don't need, then essentially you can have um, a different trust model and you could have a much lighter client. So um, as people may know, Parity is currently the team working behind the WebAssembly or the WASM implementation of the Ethereum virtual machine. And um, one of the things that they proposed is the fact that you could actually have the code for running a light client embedded into the browser. So essentially, when you uh, open a browser, you are running an Ethereum light client in WebAssembly right there. And the team has implemented a proof of concept for Android in which an Android app can have an embedded um, node, light node, light client node running right there in the app itself. And to explain why something like this is necessary, I just basically have to highlight the fact that it is physically impossible currently to have a Ethereum node running on a phone. (laughs) It takes at least 100 megabytes worth of data. You need solid state drives because uh, HDD drives simply don't work because their read-write speed isn't fast enough uh, to actually catch up to the head of the Ethereum blockchain. And on top of that, you have a lot of network uh, related communication because you essentially need to get the transactions and then you need to recreate them and verify them locally and then transmit them as well. But with the light client, you don't care. You take the block header, you ask for some transactions uh, that are relevant to you, and that's about it. So they had some uh, metrics regarding to how light their light client is, but essentially, like these are optimizations, and it's if you want to optimize around a light client so that a mobile phone can communicate properly with the network, as opposed to simply um, using a blockchain node as a server that's still being run somewhere in the cloud, um, then essentially you need to start building the light client into the application itself. And I think the most compelling argument for this is the whole reason that blockchain is attractive in the first place, right? Essentially, you as the user want to validate the authenticity of the information that you're receiving, right? And if certain devices, especially a large uh, segment of potential consumers, aren't able or willing to run full Ethereum nodes, 
but you still want them to be able to connect to the network within uh, with a um, trustless system, then essentially we need to build out the infrastructure around cl- uh, light clients. So I just wanted to highlight some of the things that Parity has already built because the Parity Feather wallet is just an example of, um, of what can be done. And traditionally, if you use a wallet app, even if you use something like MyCrypto, they start at, by default, connecting you to, in MyCrypto's case, they actually run their own Ethereum nodes, um, but you could also switch it to Infura, or you could switch it to, um, to a locally running node. But there is the option of essentially starting to use the Parity Light client. And the question is, like, how? <laughs> right? Because you have to start rebuilding or rethinking how you build an entire application so that it is um, compatible with a Light client. And the Light client can do some things, and it definitely can't do everything. So um, they also built a library called Light.js. And if uh, any of the listeners have ever used something called web3.js, it's essentially an alternative for that that is already compatible and optimized for uh, pairing with a light client. And it basically removes the need to rely on centralized infrastructure. Um, And it also takes into... um, it basically has this different type of uh, subscription model as opposed to um, basically receiving every update and checking whether or not you have events within uh, every new block. Um, You essentially subscribe uh, to events that are relevant to you and then the light client optimizes that communication, right? So that your light client will connect to um, some full nodes uh, with the data that you are subscribed to. And it's it's essentially a way to abstract away the optimizations that definitely should start being built into um, blockchain applications as well. But I think I want to return a little bit to the idea of embedded light clients, because this I find really fascinating, right? Normally, you have um, a client-server architecture, so your device sends a message and it usually connects to a server and that server gives you some information. You have to trust, first of all, that you connected to the right server and then you essentially need to uh, essentially take it at face value, right? But with a light client, you start introducing local validation even on uh, lightweight uh, devices. And I think this is really powerful and also very interesting because taken one step further, what if um, the progress of uh, computer, commercial computer hardware um, and smartphones keeps increasing? I think one of the uh, interesting analogies between blockchain is essentially with BitTorrent, right? So we have BitTorrent and the way BitTorrent works is that when you download a file, you essentially are taking small pieces of data from other clients running BitTorrent that are also seeding that specific piece of data. Now, 
BitTorrent is essentially built on a altruistic type method in which case you essentially rely on other people to voluntarily seed the file that you are looking for. Um, but if you think of this in a blockchain context, then all of a sudden you have this ability to financially incentivize full nodes, for example, for serving data that you uh, rely on. And um, if there's a financial mechanism already put into place and you can rely on a huge existing pool of incentivized full nodes, then essentially you kind of have a different relationship in with, with um, how you access data, but also how you serve data, right? Because um, light clients as they are now are essentially, quote, leeching off the network. But at the same time, wouldn't it be possible for the light clients themselves, if they do have extra capacity or if they're willing to run um, some kind of extra computational steps that are advantageous to the network, is it possible that we could have every user of a website also hosting or seeding, so to say, um, parts of the data or different parts of the application? Essentially, the more um, a website is used, the stronger and more distributed it actually is, as is intended by the design of Web3. And I think this is a really interesting paradigm uh, and a really interesting direction being built. And it can be seen that it's not quite ready yet, except um, the people that are building in this direction and making contributions into uh, pushing this forward deserve some recognition and their code bases definitely uh, need some light shed on them. So let me know. I'm going to uh, start using Light.js myself. I'm excited to actually see how much easier or how much faster it is to interact with um, a public blockchain using a Light node. Um, if that means I have to run a full node somewhere else but connect directly to it, then so be it. But we're at early stages, and it's just a really interesting direction that I want to see further building towards. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me this week. And um, please, if you try out using a light clients and you have some perspective on how it goes, let me know. Join our Slack. Um, listen to some of the other shows on the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, hashing it out is um, having a great series with uh, the guys from MakerDAO, and it's fascinating how fast and uh, integral their project has become within our space. Um, check out the main show, the flagship show for the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, it's always fun listening and keeping up to date with uh, Corey Cello and D. And again, this has been Lucian, and see you next time.